Hello, I'm Jessica Clements here on The Ringerverse, and I'll be showing up with theories, Easter egg breakdowns, and explainers on all your favorite content. Today, I'll be delivering a classic Easter egg breakdown of Secret Invasion's finale. It's over. We're done with it. Get out of here. Good riddance. I'll be going scene by scene in order of appearance, pulling things you might have missed, and telling you things you just need to know. This podcast doubles as a video, and if you'd like to watch the amazing work our editors did, or you're just a visual learner like myself, you can watch the video on Spotify, TheRinger.com, or on The Ringer's YouTube channel. Here's your one and only spoiler warning. I'm spoiling all of Secret Invasion and diving into things that could potentially spoil stuff down the road in the larger MCU. And you've been warned. You've been warned. Get out if you haven't seen it. Come back if you have. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Let's get into it. The finale just made things harder in the MCU. We have normal civilians acting as vigilantes, killing innocent people and mistaking them for scrolls. The American president, Ritson, is basically encouraging all of this, and we now have someone in the MCU that can mimic famous superheroes' powers and shapeshift to look exactly like them. I just think this is a bad idea, and I really hope Gaia's on our side. All of this sounds like a recipe for disaster, and we open the finale with Priscilla preparing to leave her home and getting a call from Fury. He clearly misses his wife and her voice, but this could also be Gaia as it's revealed later that she's disguised as Fury. I like to believe that this is the real Nick Fury calling his loved one just for like one last time in case he dies after this mission. A rigged car pulls up at New Skrullos' gate to distract the guards. They're immediately killed by Fury, who gives them a little double tap, the like, Bam, bam. I don't know if I can show guns on YouTube. Pew, pew. Okay, there you go. We're back at the hospital where President Ritson was healing from the Skrull ambush. Skrull Rhodey and the Admiral discuss how to react to Russia with Rhodey really pushing for a strike and the Admiral advising not to, even mentioning how the Russian President Vladimov has denied the attacks. During their conversation, a woman walks in and shows Rhodey her tablet. This woman is the White House aide we saw in episode one, who could be a scroll because she's casted as an acting double, but we have no hard evidence of this other than the credits. We get a shot of lots of dead scrolls at New Scrollos. This was probably during or after the fight between Gravik and his people in episode five. It only makes it like sadder that this is Gaia's first time seeing them since she's been assassinated. Okay, the, uh, this part I'm just personally confused at is why Gaia as Fury is actively like coughing and hacking, checking the radiation device when no one's around at New Scrollos. Wouldn't she be fine there? Maybe this is just me or just to make sure that Gravik wasn't hiding outside watching for Fury. It would be weird to see Fury just skip into a radioactive site with no harm. So I guess she's playing the part outside the vault as well. And she's doing a great job acting. Fury, still coughing and stumbling due to the radiation sickness, finds Gravik in the lab next to the machine. Fury loses his pills, and I'm sure these are the iodide pills Gravik joked about in the last episode to fight the radiation. Gravik mentions that due to the radiation, Fury will be spending the last 20 minutes with him. Play the clip. You see these tremors? They're natural at this level of exposure. It's once the shaking gets above the elbow, close to the heart. That's when you need to be concerned. You might be wondering, how does that not affect the humans they've already kidnapped? And I assume the humans are protected in their stasis machines, especially in the end when we see these bodies covered in the hexagonal pattern sheets. These are probably anti-radiation. Gravik mentions Fury's invisible cloak and shield. He might be referring to the helicarrier that has the ability to cloak itself and has super high defenses. I do like where Gravik's anger lies, how killing people over and over again negatively affected him and took a little piece of his heart every time until there is nothing left. Though, 
Though, with that being said, I don't condone the justification in killing his people or bombing a city. I do hate, though, and I truly, truly, really hate that all of this was said to Gaia disguised as Fury. This is something Fury needed to hear, but instead we have Gaia. It kind of like pissed me off because by the end of the episode, Fury didn't learn anything from this and a lot could have been taken into consideration from Gravik's monologue. Why give him this monologue just to say to Gaia? Please have him say it again. It makes me so mad. Even when he grabs Fury's face, like he grabs it and pushes it against the wall, I'm not sure it's how Fury would respond, but I think it's how Gaia would because we can't argue Gravik isn't speaking facts right now, but at the end of the day, he killed her mom and dad, so that outweighs the 30 years of hiding and being pimped out. His words, not mine. It feels as though every time he had the chance to kill Fury at the bombing or at the ambush, it just wasn't good enough because he needed to confront him like this. It kind of hurts to hear him condemn humanity and also sounding like a hurt 12-year-old boy whose hero let him down. He's like, Killmonger and Syndrome from The Incredibles combined. Now, Gaia's Fury admits it's easier to save people than it is to change their minds. And we're under the impression that Gaia feels this way once it's revealed that she's disguised as Fury the entire time. But there's a possibility that she took his mind before going into their different missions. This would also make sense as to Gaia knowing how Fury felt flaking away during the blip. Gaia's Fury gives Gravik the harvest, and upon checking it, we see whose DNA is included along with Carol Danvers. We have Ghost, Captain America, Corvus Glaive, Thanos, The Outrider, Proxima Midnight, Gamora, Mantis, Cole Obsidian, Drax, Ebony Maw, The Frost Beast, Abomination, Hulk, Korg, Black Panther, The Jatari, Valkyrie, Thor Odinson, Flora Colossus, and The Winter Soldier. That is too many DNAs. <laughs> the scrolls have helped clean up a lot of the messes, not just the ones in Infinity War and Endgame. So I'm just going to list off all the locations, including Infinity War and Endgame, that they might have got the samples from. The DNA of Carol Danvers, Captain America, Thanos, the Outriders, Gamora, Mantis, Drax, Hulk, Korg, Black Panther, Valkyrie, Thor, Groot, Bucky, Corvus Glaive, Proxima Midnight, Cole Obsidian, and Ebony Maw were probably all collected on Earth during the Battle of Endgame. This is all said and done. That's like 30 people, or maybe it's like 15. Ghost was working for S.H.I.E.L.D., and she was continually tested on, so they have her DNA in the system. She also gets injured a lot during Ant-Man and the Wasp in San Francisco, so if the scrolls assisted in that cleanup, they could have got it there, too. The Frost Beast was probably picked off when it was transported to London and Thor the Dark World. Abomination has lived most of his life since the Duel of Harlem in confinement. They had a chance to nab his DNA when he entered the DoD Supermax prison, or in the Golden Daggers Club, or they could have been patrons at the Summer Twilight Retreat. Go men! The Chitari destroyed New York, all thanks to Loki, and created insane damage that directly affected Kate Bishop. I use Hawkeye the series as an example because Clint uses his arrows on the Chitari, leaving them all dead on the ground. The scrolls likely got the Chitari DNA from cleaning up all those bodies in the first Avengers movie. When Gravik uses the samples to turn himself into the mega super scroll, it changes Gaia's fury as well. Gaia's Fury's arm hulks out and punches Gravik through the building, soaring in the air. We see Gravik's right arm resembling Groot's using his abilities. Gaia begins powering up her extremist ability. Gravik's left arm turns into Cole Obsidian, so he now has the strength of Cole Obsidian and the limb extensions of Groot. Then Gaia turns her left arm into Drax's, covered in the same tattoos. Gaia then uses Ghost's phasing ability when Gravik throws a car at her. On the right of Gravik's ear is actually Abomination's ear, and it might be the only part of Abomination he Took. <laughs> then he changes his arm from coal obsidians to Korg's. Then Gaia changes her hand into the Frostbeast Ice Sword, and her other arm turns into Korg's arm. 
Then Gravik takes on Ebony Ma's powers of telekinesis along with his dainty arm and jewelry. Then Gravik Spartan kicks Gaia with Hulk's leg and has the ripped shorts included. This is insane. Then Gaia turns her arm into what I think is the Outrider. It has the same charcoal and red texture. Gravik has the same arm and a purple one, which represents Thanos. Then they both start powering up the Captain Marvel ability, illuminating the same colors, beaming light through their eyes. Then Gaia uses Mantis's ability and the little antennas poke out of her head and she puts Gravik to sleep midair. Gaia lands back on the ground in her Black Widow pose. No DNA needed for that. And Gravik is barely hanging in there. Then the combined powers of Captain Marvel, Cole Obsidian, the Outrider, and Ghost, she takes out Gravik, killing him. They need to nerf her abilities because there is no way in the MCU we can have Gaia be the strongest person but can also shapeshift to look like those people. It's a recipe for disaster, but also just like very unfair for the rest of the MCU. Gaia releases the humans from their stasis. We have Dr. Rosa Dalton, the gallery owner from the first episode, Vasili, Kriga's human, the real roadie, Everett Ross, and the UK Prime Minister. Walking past the Prime Minister was the man Xerxu impersonated. And at the end of the hall on the far left is Shirley, who was on the Council of Scrolls. And opening the door to blinding light is Pagan's disguise, who is actually in the military. Rhodey has a hard time walking out of the facility and he's wearing a white hospital gown. I think this is because he was taken from the hospital in Civil War. After almost dying, I doubt he had time to properly heal standing up in a stasis pod. He probably needed physical therapy and was just taken straight out of the facility and put in the upright position at New Scrollos. So if that's true, Rhodey didn't experience Infinity War or Endgame and he might not know Tony's dead yet, which is really sad and I just don't want to see the realization. During all of this, Ritson, Sonya, Fury, and Scroll Rhodey are having a standoff that ends with Fury shooting Scroll Rhodey directly in the head and Ritson immediately calling off the warhead. This warhead looks like it's in the same underground bunker from the one in Civil War. Now that Ritson is feeling a little bit better, he immediately addresses the United States and basically airs out the dirty laundry that Scrolls are living on Earth and how they need to all die. I hate to be this person. Actually, I don't. But isn't it crazy just how Priscilla was cool with Vara being a scroll and Fury was cool with all the other scrolls and the president refuses to accept them? It's almost like we're mimicking reality. I digress. Sonya finds Gaia and makes a deal with her that they'll be using each other whenever they need one another. In the comics, the British government created M13 with Captain Britain, and there was also a scroll on the team, John the Scroll, which was John Lennon the Scroll, and I talked about this two episodes ago. Before the attack, Scroll Rhodey recites a Vladimir Lenin quote to President Ritson. Lenin served as head of government of Soviet Russia from 1917 to 1924 and the Soviet Union from 1922 to 1924. He also clarifies that Lenin should not be confused with John Lennon who in the comics was an actual scroll, a member of the Scroll Beatles, and it's beautiful. This time, instead of John, it would just be Gaia. This sounds like a great idea until it isn't, right? What happens when Sonya needs Gaia to impersonate Captain Marvel and destroy a city? It just feels like a mistake, but I'm also ultimately Team Saya. I think they'd make an incredible show, and I can't wait to see all the antics they get into, including what's going on here. We saw this scene in the trailer of everyone in a blue stasis, and we've been waiting for it. It's revealed that this is another spot where they kept humans in stasis, but now Sonya's team, if they want could connect the faces of these humans in stasis to the scrolls in disguise out in the real world, which again, could be good or bad. After Ritson's speech, Fury calls him out and admits it was a horrible idea to condemn the scrolls. He says, that's a real one-term president stuff, which could be a nod to President Thunderbolt Ross taking the mantle in Brave New World. Regardless, people around the world are taking the power into their own hands, killing Chris Stearns on TV and the UK Prime Minister. Keep in mind, Chris Stearns was a scroll, but the UK Prime Minister wasn't and she bled red, so that's our indicator. This... 
this all just like feels like a mess, right? Ritson is trying to create an all off-world born species enemy combatants bill, which is too broad and works against Thor, Loki, and all the Guardians of the Galaxy but Star-Lord. Additionally, the grounded crime fighters like Daredevil, Hawkeye, Yelena, Kate Bishop, and Cassie Lang are subject to regular human vigilantism, which we know from Batman is always skewed and you find yourself beating the wrong ass. So I only see a mess coming for the MCU's future folks on the ground by normal civilians. In the Marvel's teaser trailer, men break into Kamala's home, and these could be normal people playing vigilante now that they're scared. Luckily, the Marvels is mainly in space, and Loki has their timeline jumping, so the next two major projects won't be heavily affected by Ritz and Speech. We close the finale with Vara and Fury both going to Saber and Fury asking Vara to help talk to the Kree as they're open to peace talks with the Skrulls. And I'm sure Zalway Ashton's character in the Marvels is completely against this. And Vara's right. It just feels too good to be true. This is the first Marvel Disney Plus show to not have a post credit scene. But now we wait to see Fury and possibly Vara in the Marvels in November. That's it for my Easter egg video on the finale of Secret Invasion. And we did it! The show is over! We learned so much about the Skrulls and how Fury collected a lot of important DNA. We met Sonya and we have a new Super Skrull the MCU and I think she's a good guy. I, I hope she's a good guy. Subscribe to The Ringerverse on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and X, formerly known as Twitter, at Ringerverse. And make sure to follow The Ringer on YouTube at youtube.com slash The Ringer. Thanks for watching and listening. Stay alive out there. <laughs>